spend our time in First Thessalonians. We've been talking about the second coming of the Lord, but don't turn there because that's not where we're going. We're going to Second Thessalonians tonight, and uh, which would be right in order of where we've been, but we won't have time. There are three chapters, and I know you don't want me to preach all three of them, and so I'm just going to deal with one verse tonight, really, out of Second Thessalonians chapter number three. And uh, I'm going to read this chapter, and then we'll deal with one verse. I appreciate the visitors that we have here tonight in the service. Good to see some friends that I have not seen in a while. I appreciate you being here, and uh, we thank the Lord for you. In, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Finally, now, let me just say this to you. Paul said, Finally, and went on another whole chapter. So he was a Baptist preacher. Amen. There's no question about that. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, not after the tradition which ye have received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation, salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now I want to do this for a little while tonight. When we come to Second Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians, every chapter ended with a reference to the second coming. When we come to Second Thessalonians, Paul is still talking about the second coming, but the emphasis, I believe, is more on the revelation than it is on the rapture and the second coming. And Paul is going to deal with these people. They have been lied to that they have missed the rapture. Someone had misrepresented themselves and told them they'd missed the rapture. And so Paul's trying to encourage them that that has not happened. When he gets all done down to the end of this passage, the end of the book, this verse is what I'm interested in. Verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. 
Now I'm going to pray and then I want to preach a little while tonight on the Lord of Peace. Father, we love you tonight because you first loved us. We thank you we can be assembled together with the saints of God. We're glad for the songs of Zion, for the fellowship of believers. We're glad for the good Holy Spirit of God, for the Word of God. We're glad for Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sin. We're thankful that you're our God and that we're your people. Help us to love you more. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray tonight, somehow you get glory out of what's about to take place. However you'd be pleased to do it, Lord, we're for it. That you'd be lifted up and magnified and glorified for you're worthy. And I pray, Lord, I know that if you're glorified, your people will be helped. So help us tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He said, in another place, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. I remember many years ago we were traveling. It was a Wednesday night and we were down in uh, South Carolina. And if we're home, our church, our midweek service is on Thursday. But if we're at home uh, and it's Thursday night, midweek service night, you said, Peter, where are you? We're at church. If we're at home, that's where you're supposed to be. Amen. It didn't matter if we were in revival Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. If we're home, we're in church. But we were too far to get home. We live in Indiana. We are in South Carolina. So we thought, well, we'll go by Tabernacle. And we'll hear Dr. Seitler preach. And so we went by Tabernacle Baptist Church. Dr. Seitler got up and preached. And I just promise you, it's been a long, many long years ago. I don't remember exactly what he preached. I don't remember what the points were. I don't even honestly remember what his text was. But I remember one thing he said during the sermon. I never have forgotten it in that gravelly voice. He'd throw that finger up in the air and he said, when you read your Bible, look for Jesus. You'll find him on every page. And you know what I've been doing all these years? I've been looking for Jesus in my Bible. I find him in the most unusual places. I find pictures of him. I see him through the lattice work in the Old Testament. I wish I had time to go through some of those places. I don't tonight. But when we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, Paul talks to us about that Jesus. And he calls him what we might consider to be an unusual name in light of some other things said in the Bible. But in verse 16, Paul calls him the Lord of peace. Jesus is the Lord of peace. Now, if he's the Lord of peace, that means if I want real peace, I have to get it from him. You say, preacher, my life's in an uproar. My life's in a turmoil. I'm frightened. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Get down to the foot of the cross and look and see Jesus. Amen. Let's fix your eyes upon him. In the Old Testament, God said, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. So I want to talk to you about Jesus. And there are three things I want to talk to you about him from that are found here in this verse. I want to say, first of all, that when I read verse 16, I am reminded that Jesus is an extraordinary person. He is an extraordinary person. You say, preacher, what's extraordinary about it? Well, I could spend a long time talking to you about that, but I thought about this. In the Old Testament, God talk, uh, uh, Moses talked about God, and he talked about him a certain way. And uh, there was an old preacher going to preach on this text in the Old Testament. He had an unusual way of speaking 
speaking, he had unusual diction and pronunciation. And he got up and he said, uh, he said, uh, my text tonight is from the book of Exodus. He said, the text say, the Lord is a man of war. My subject is, you can't whoop him. Amen. I'd like to hear the rest of the sermon, but the title was pretty good. But in the Old Testament, God is styled as a man of war. But in the New Testament, the Holy Ghost tells us that Jesus is the Lord of peace. He's also called the Prince of Peace. Now you say, preacher, if Jesus, uh, the Son, uh, and God the Father are one, how can he be both? Because he is an extraordinary person. He's the most unusual person you have ever met. You say, are God the Father and God the Son, are they the same? Well, there is God the Father, God the Son of the Holy Ghost. They are the Trinity, what we call the Godhead. That's what Paul calls them. Some would say that Jesus is different from God, that he's somewhat lesser than God. But if that's true, I got problems in my Bible because Genesis 1 said in the beginning was the Word. Uh, Genesis 1 said in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But John 1 said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And verse 14 said, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Genesis said God created everything you see. And John said Jesus created everything you see. My only conclusion can be is that Jesus is God, always has been God, and always will be God. As a matter of fact, Paul said without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I'm a little hung up here, but it's all right. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, I've been so long with you, Philip, and yet you've not known me. He that's seen me has seen the Father. I'm going to tell you, friend, there's a lot of so-called saviors in the world. All of them were false, all of them were fake, and none of them were God. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was not only the sacrifice, but the sacrificer. He's not only the Son that died for us, He's the God that made us. Are you listening now? He is God. He always has been. He is an extraordinary person. He cannot be explained. How are you going to explain somebody who is, who is the Lord of peace and a man of war? How's that? How are you going to explain somebody like that? It's beyond explanation. It defies explanation. You know, over in uh, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, he set up a god. You remember? In Daniel chapter two, he had that he had that uh, dream, and so he set up that god in the next chapter. And there's some interesting things said about Nebuchadnezzar's god. It said that he made that god. It said, it gave us the measurements of that God, and it said he set him up in the plain of Dura. So he had a God that was made, he had a God that was measured, and he had a God that could be moved. I'm going to tell you something about my God. He was never made. He has always been Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the everlasting Father. He was never made. And he cannot be measured. He's too big to be measured. He he makes the earth his footstool. He's 
sitteth upon the circle of the earth. He filleth up the heavens. He's too big to measure and he cannot be moved. And what I mean by that is you can't just set him wherever you want to. He's going to go where he wants to. I thought about this. He is the warrior and the peacemaker. He is the prosecutor and the defender. He is the sacrificer and the sacrifice. He is an extraordinary person. He cannot be explained. Here's the second thing about him. As an extraordinary person, he cannot be exhausted. You never can come to the end of him. There's always more of him than you thought there was. There's always more. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. There are over 200 different names for Christ in our Bible. One fellow put it this way. He said, if you're in the darkness, Jesus is the light. If you have doubts, Jesus is the counselor. If you're ignorant, Jesus is wisdom. If you're guilty, he's your advocate and intercessor. If you're lonely, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If you've been wrong, he is your judge and avenger. I'm just saying to you, it doesn't matter. He is more than what you can imagine. He cannot be exhausted. He cannot be explained. And he cannot be exterminated. Oh, I'm telling you, they've been trying. They've been trying to put him out of everywhere. They've been trying to stop him. They've been saying there is no Christ. There is no God. There is no Jesus. One writer said this. If you're threatening him with warfare, he's a man of war. If you're threatening him with darkness, he's the day star in the light of the world. If you try to deceive him, he's the faithful and true witness. If you try to drown him, he'll walk on the water. Try to burn him, he'll walk around with you in the furnace. Try to kill him, he'll refuse to die. Try to bury him, he'll just get up out of the grave. He cannot be exterminated. I'm talking about my Savior. Now, I'm headed somewhere, so stay with me. But, oh, he is an extraordinary person, this Jesus that we serve. There's nobody like him. Dr. Brother Wallace Little, he pastored the Pine Bluff Baptist Church, and he's going to be with the Lord now. He was an unusual man. And he, he kind of fit his name. He's a little fella. I went down there one time, and he said to me, he said, Brother McBride, he said, we had a meeting here a while back, and he said there was three young men just got full of the Holy Ghost, and they got to shouting and running and praising God. I said, what would you do, Brother Little? He said, I got right in the middle of them and said, Lord, put some of that on me too. Amen. He was preaching one time, and he had exhausted every adjective he could find in his vocabulary to describe Jesus. He used every description he could come up with, and finally he took a deep breath and said, He's the oldest one that ever was. There ain't nobody like him. I'll tell you, that's true of Jesus. Nobody like him. He's an extraordinary person. But wait a minute, there's something else in this verse I'm interested in. Not only is there an extraordinary person, the Lord of peace, But there is an extraordinary promise in this verse. Now watch what it said. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always by all means. This is an extraordinary promise that I can have peace. Preacher, have you not seen the news? I have. Preacher, do you not know what's going on in the world? I do. But even in the midst of it, I can have peace. You can have peace. We can have peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus that he shed on Calvary. See, you and I were enemies of God. 
We don't want to put it that way. We want to say, well, I was neutral. But there was nobody neutral. You're either for him or against him. Here's the way the Bible described us when we were lost. It calls us haters of God, calls us blasphemers of God, calls us enemies of God and adversaries of God. And that's just exactly what we were. But you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood and he purchased peace for you and I and every one of us that will come and trust him as our Savior. Now we have peace with God, we've laid down our weapons of war, we've, we've run up the white flag of surrender, but really, we did more than surrender, because sometimes you surrender, uh, and you have conditions, we didn't have any conditions, we had to come on His conditions, in fact, we really didn't surrender, we yielded, that's what we did, we just yielded, we said, alright Lord, you're right, we're wrong, and when we yielded and laid down our weapons of war, uh, we became at peace, we were reconciled unto God, I hope you're reconciled tonight. I hope you have peace with God tonight. I hope you're not fighting a war with God because you can't win it. Peace with God. We can have peace, but we know we can have peace with God. Well, when we look this week in Philippians, we can have the peace of God ruling in our hearts. The peace of God. Think about it. Peace. Peace because sin is forgiven. Peace because the heart is renewed. Peace because we trust the love of God. That peace which passeth all understanding. It is a possession that is extraordinary. The whole world is after peace. Everybody's looking for peace. People got up today and they went off to work and they wanted peace. They wanted to have peace in their hearts, but they didn't know where to find it. It is an extraordinary thing to have peace in the world that we live in. Not only it's an extraordinary, uh, uh, extraordinary possession, there is in this verse this extraordinary price. Now watch what it says. Now the Lord of peace himself, look at this word. Give. You say, preacher, where can I buy peace? You can't buy it. Where can I earn peace? You can't earn it. Well, where can I get peace? There's somebody who has it. And he's willing to give it to you. That's an extraordinary price. Peace is not earned. It is received. You know why it's received? Because peace is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. And when you receive Christ, you get the peace of God. Peace in your heart. You say, preacher, I don't understand why I don't have any peace. Do you have Jesus? Do you have the Lord? The Bible said, for he is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He has given us peace. Jesus was standing over Jerusalem. He's looking over the city. And he looks at them and he begins to weep. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've gathered thee under my wings as a mother hen gathereth her, gathereth her chickens. And he said this to them. He said, if thou hadst known the things which belong unto thy peace. He said, you could have peace. You could have peace if you wanted it, if you take it on my terms. I thought about who was in that city. The zealots were in there. And they thought peace came through war. They were going to fight Rome. They were going to be involved in guerrilla warfare. And they were going to try and over throw Rome a little at a time and get peace. But no matter how many battles they won, no matter how many Romans they killed, they still didn't have peace. The Sanhedrin were there. They thought peace came through political maneuvers. If they could somehow get involved in the politics and overrule this law and overrule that law, then maybe they could have peace. But it didn't matter how smart they were. It didn't matter what their strategy was. It didn't matter how many laws they got passed or got overthrown. They didn't have peace. The priests were there. They thought 
thought peace came through sacrifice. If they offered this sacrifice, they could placate of the wrath of God. But they offered sacrifice after sacrifice. They got together in the synagogue, but there was no peace. The scribes were there. They thought precise, a precise adherence to the Word of God would bring them peace. And they, I did, they wouldn't walk only a certain amount of uh, steps on the Sabbath day, uh, but they didn't have any peace. You know why? None of those things bring peace. Jesus brought peace when He came and He died on the cross and shed His blood. And if you'll trust Him, He'll give you peace. Peace is a gift. It's a gift. But then there's something else that's extraordinary here about this peace. Would you look at this word? Now the Lord of peace Himself give you peace. Always. That is, an, that is an extraordinary perpetuation. Always. What does it mean? It means under any circumstance. Any circumstance. I can have peace. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Doesn't matter what's going on around me. I can have peace. Always. I can have peace. You see, if Jesus is my peace, no one can take him from me. And he'll never leave me. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I should always, always, isn't that what the word said? Give you peace always. I should always be able to have peace. On my way to work in the morning. Even driving in Knoxville. I ought to be able to have peace. Always. Peace. Why? Because it doesn't come from what's out here. It comes from who's in here. You know, this word always, I was looking it up. It's the same word when the Bible said, but the angels who always behold the face of God. Same word, always. So those angels that are always seeing God, there's never a moment, there's never an instant when they're not seeing God and beholding the face of God. And that's the same word. So Paul is saying to me about the Lord Jesus, that there ought never be a moment or an instant when I don't have peace. And if I don't have peace, it's because I'm not trusting the one that gives me my peace. I've got my eyes fixed somewhere they oughtn't be. I've got my thoughts resting someplace they ought not be resting. My affections are not set on things above. Jesus has ceased to be the focal point, uh, the focal point of my attention. That's why I've lost my peace. You have peace always. Say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't, but I know who Jesus is. And he'll give you peace. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see. There's an extraordinary person. There's an extraordinary promise. But there is in this passage an extraordinary path. Now, watch what else he said in this verse. Now, the Lord of peace himself, Jesus, give you peace. How much? Always. Now watch this little phrase. By all means. That's an interesting phrase. If you look that phrase up, I, I've told you several times this week, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not even really much of a Greek student, but I have a Strong's concordance. And I look up, see what Mr. Strong has to say. And Mr. Strong talked about this word, uh, th this little phrase, by all means, and it means a turn or a revolution, not a revolution like overthrowing something, but a, a circle, a turn in a circle. And it's like this. The boys, Lawrence and uh, 
and Schofield both have watches. You ask them, they'll show you their pocket watches. Those boys know what time it is. But if you open up that watch, you push the button, the cover comes open, you look at that pocket watch, those hands are going in the direction we call clockwise. Big hand, the little hand, and if they have a second hand, I don't know if they do or not, going on that clock. Now, but if you opened up the in, what I'd call the innards, the insides of that watch, you know what you'd find? You'd find gears in there. And what you'd find is those gears are moving, but they're not all moving the same direction that the hands are moving. But if you know anything about the movement and the working of a watch, what you'd find is the hands of the watch can't go this way unless there are some gears on the inside of the watch that are going a different way. So you'd look at those gears and not realize about the hands and you'd say, those are going the wrong way. Something's not right here. Those are going the wrong way. They're going to mess up the watch. But they're not messing up the watch. They're the turning and the revolution. When Paul says peace by all means, what he's saying is there will be some things in your life and you're going to look at them and say, they can't get any peace come from this. They know peace coming from this. It's the wrong direction. It's turning in the wrong way. But the truth is, you can't, you're going to get your peace from that thing that's going seemingly the wrong way. You're going to, you're going to say, preacher, I, I can't see any peace in this. Well, there's peace in it because Jesus is involved in it. And it may look like it's going the wrong direction, but what it's going to do, it's going to help you realize the peace of God in your life. Now, let me give you three examples in our text. Chapter number three. This is why I read the whole chapter. There are three things here that at first, at first glance, we might not think that they're peaceful. The first thing is Paul talks about waiting in verse five. Watch what he said. And the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and in the patient waiting for Christ. Now, you know, we're like little children. We don't like to wait. Little children don't want to wait. They get antsy. Amen. You know what antsy is short for? Antsy in your pants. They get antsy. They get jumping around. When are we going to do this? When are we going? To... We don't think of waiting as as peaceful. It'll be peaceful when what we're waiting for gets here. But Paul talks about waiting, and he talks about patient waiting for Christ. And so in chapter number three, Paul's going to end it with this. Peace that God, the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will give you peace. But sometimes peace comes when you're waiting. You say, well, I don't want to wait. Well, we need to learn to wait. Here's what the Bible said. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not faint. They shall, uh, they shall, or they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. By the way, can I stop and throw this in here? I won't charge you any extra for it. Did you ever think about this? That verse is backward. It's backward. It's not the way I would have wrote it. I would have said, if you wait on the Lord, you'll renew your strength, and you can get to walking, and then build yourself up to a run, and then finally work your way up to flying. But God said flying, then running, then walking. Looks to me like what he's saying is that patient, consistent, steady walk, that's the best Christian life. That's the epitome of the Christian life. 
And so he talks about waiting. Ruth talks about something else. Look in verse 6. He said, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. He talks about waiting. Then in this chapter, he talks about withdrawing. Sometimes a brother is not living the way he ought to live. He is disorderly. He's disrupting the church. And someone would say, Well, I ought to say something to him, but I don't want to cause a stir. I, I, I don't want to I don't stir something up. I want things to be at peace. But the problem is there won't be any peace while he's walking disorderly. And so you must discipline him. He must be he must be warned. He must be admonished. And then if you won't do right, then you withdraw from him. You say, Preacher, I don't see any peace in that, but peace will be the result of that. Amen. Somebody will get right. Maybe that brother, that erring brother will get right. There'll be peace as a result. And then he uses a third thing. He talks about working. He tells us here, Verse number 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. I, I, when I was a little boy, I didn't want to work, didn't want to do any work. And I didn't think work was peaceful. But here Paul is in this context of peace. When you work, when you say, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be, I'm going to fulfill the obligations that I have. There were some here because uh, someone had talked to them about the coming of the Lord and they felt like they missed it. And they said, we're not going to do anything. But Paul said, no, if you're not going to work, you don't get to eat. If a man won't work, well, it'd be good if we put that into practice today. The man won't work, neither shall he eat. But you say, well, working doesn't bring peace. Yes, it does. God will use that uh, to bring you peace. You see, God will use unusual pathways to bring us to the place of peace. And maybe what it'll be is, I remember Brother Lee Davis, he's in heaven now. I remember him telling about, I believe it was his wife, I can't remember his wife or it was his daughter, uh, wife or daughter that was in the hospital and sick, very ill, he went down to the hospital and he's walking back and forth in the hallway and he said, I was just trying to find some peace. And he said, I walked outside of the hospital. When I got outside the hospital, I was walking around in the parking lot and he said, I looked up on the wall and there was the word hospital in letters that stuck out uh, from the wall of the hospital. It said hospital and he said, I saw a movement caught my eye. And he said, I looked up there and in the O on the word hospital, a mother bird had built a nest for her little babies right in that O of the word hospital. And she She's up there and them babies are just a chirping and she's just a feeding them. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, right in the middle of that hole in the word hospital, the place that nobody associates with peace, I've got that little bird with a house up there and they're at peace. And I'm saying to you that right in the middle of this hospital, in a circumstance that you didn't want to be in and would not have chosen, I give you the same peace that that little bird has up there in the hole in the hospital. I'm saying to you, friend, you say, preacher, the trouble's in my life. There can't be peace come from it. Yes, there can, because peace comes from Jesus. And when you put Jesus in the middle of whatever it is you're facing, you can have peace in your heart. Amen. You can have peace. He gives us this promise. And then what he does is he just concludes the whole matter. He said, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Remember what I said to you a moment ago? Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Paul said, this is why you can have peace. This is why you'll get peace. This is why you can have peace always. This is why you can have peace by all means in every turn of your life. Why you can have peace? Because the Lord 
will be with you. And he is our peace. I want you to bow your heads a moment. The secret of peace, one preacher said, is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Christ. Now, I don't know you tonight. I don't know most of you. I come here about every year. and I see you and I speak to you and I shake your hand. Sometimes I learn your name. Most of you I don't know. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what fear you have in your life. I don't know what situation you're facing. But I do know this. I know that peace is a gift. And that peace is the Lord Jesus. And if you'll trust him tonight, he'll give you peace in the midst of the trouble. You say, preacher, I'm in such an uproar tonight. I'm fearful tonight. I'm confused tonight. Let me tell you where you can find peace. Why don't you come to an altar and just bow your knee and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I can't figure this out. I can't plan it out. I can't explain it out. My only hope is you, Lord. And he's a good hope to have. Would you trust him tonight? Would you bow the knee before him at an altar? Say, Lord, I need peace. I need peace. Draw up close to him tonight. He'll give you peace. There might be tonight somebody here you've never been saved. You've never had peace with God. You're not at peace with God. But you'd like to be at peace with him. You've never been saved, never been born again. You don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't know if you're right with God. You wouldn't want to stand before God as you are right now. I tell you, you could do something about that tonight. Because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you. I know he died for the whole world. We love to say that, and it's true. But he didn't just die for the whole world. He died for you. That's how much he loved you. If you'd been the only one. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ which liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He died for you. If you'll trust him tonight, he'll give you peace with God. Let me ask you tonight. Nobody's looking but me. There'd be somebody here tonight say, preacher, by lifting your hand, say, preacher, I don't have peace with God. I've never been saved. I don't know if I'm right with God, but I want to be. Will you pray for me? Is there anybody like that tonight? I see that little hand. There's somebody else. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I'm right with God, but I want to be. I see your hand, young man. Somebody else tonight. Now, Father, you help us. Somebody tonight that's overwhelmed. Somebody tonight doesn't know what to do next. Somebody tonight whose heart is filled with fear, apprehension, turmoil. I pray tonight they just kneel at your feet and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Lord, I don't always know how to pray. But I know, Lord, and sometimes I don't even know what I need. I just know something ain't right. And I come and bow at your feet and say, Lord, I need you. And you're always there to help me. So I pray you'll help us tonight. Help your people. There's one little fella tonight, Lord, raised his hand and said, I'm not sure I'm saved. Not sure I'd go to heaven. I pray he'll come tonight and trust Jesus as his Savior. And if he does, you'll save him. And if there are others, Lord, I pray they'll come. But I pray tonight, Lord, that we'll leave this place 
in possession of your peace. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.